Section two of the Art of Letters by Robert Lind. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Art of Letters by Robert Lind. John Bunyan. Once when John Bunyan had been preaching in London, a friend congratulated him on the excellence of his sermon. You need not remind me of that, replied Bunyan. The devil told me of it before I was out of the pulpit. On another occasion, when he was going about in disguise, a constable who had a warrant for his arrest spoke to him and inquired if he knew that devil Bunyan. Know him, said Bunyan. You might call him a devil if you knew him as well as I once did. We have in these antidotes a key to the nature of Bunyan's genius. He was a realist, a romanticist, a humorist. He was as exact a realist, though in a different way, as Mr. Pepys, whose contemporary he was. He was a realist both in his self-knowledge and in the sense of the outer world. He had the acute eye of the artist which was aware of the stones of the street and the crows in the ploughed field. As a preacher, he did not guide the thoughts of his hearers, as so many preachers do, into the wind. He recalled them from the orthodox abstractions to the solid earth. Have you forgot, he asked his followers, the close, the milk-house, the stable, the barn, and the like, where God did visit your souls? He himself could never be indifferent to the place or setting of the great tragic comedy of salvation, when he relates how he gave up swearing as a result of a reproof from a loose and ungodly woman, he begins his story. One day, as I was standing at a neighbor's shop window, and there cursing and swearing after my wanted manner, there sat within the woman of the house who heard me. This passion for locality was always at his elbow. A few pages further on in Grace Abounding, when he tells us how he abandoned not only swearing, but the deep-rooted sins of bell-ringing and dancing, and nevertheless remain self-righteous and ignorant of Jesus Christ, he introduces the next episode in the story of his conversion with the sentence, But upon a day the good providence of God called me to Bedford to work my calling, and in one of the streets of that town I came where there were three or four poor women sitting at a door in the sun, talking about the things of God. This seems to me to be one of the most beautiful sentences in English literature. Its beauty is largely due to the hungry eyes with which Bunyan looked at the present world during his progress to the next. If he wrote the greatest allegory in English literature, it is because he was able to give his narrative the reality of a travel book instead of the insubstantial quality of a dream. He leaves the reader with the feeling that he is moving among real places and real people. As for the people, Bunyan can give even an abstract virtue, still more an abstract vice, the skin and bones of a man. A recent critic has said disparagingly that Bunyan would have called Hamlet Mr. Facing Both Ways. As a matter of fact, Bunyan's secret is the direct opposite of this. His great and singular gift was the power to create an atmosphere in which a character with a name like Mr. Facing Both Ways is accepted on the same plane of reality as Hamlet. If Bunyan was a realist, however, as regards place and character, his conception of life was nonetheless romantic. 
Life to him was a story of hairbreadth escapes, of a quest beset with a thousand perils. Not only was there that great dragon the devil lying in wait for the traveller, but there was the doubting castle to pass, the giant despair and the lions. We have in the Pilgrim's Progress almost every property of romantic adventure and terror. We want only a map in order to bring home to us the fact that it belongs to the same school of fiction as Treasure Island. There may be theological contentions here and there that interpret the action of the story as they interpret the interest of grace abounding. But the tedious passages are extraordinarily few, considering that the author had the passions of a preacher. No doubt the fact that when he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, he was not definitely thinking of the edification of his neighbors, goes far towards explaining the absence of commonplace arguments and exhortations. I did it mine own self to gratify, he declared in his rhymed apology for his book. Later on, in reply to some brethren of the stricter sort, who condemned such dabbling in fiction, he defended his book as a tract, remarking that if you want to catch fish, they must be groped for and be tickled to, or they will not be catched whate'er you do. But in its origin, the pilgrim's progress was not a tract, but the inevitable image of the experiences of the writer's soul. And what wild adventures those were, every reader of grace abounding knows. There were terrific contests with the devil, who could never charm John Bunyan as he charmed Eve. To Bunyan, these contests were not metaphorical battles, but were as struggles with flesh and blood. He pulled, and I pulled, he wrote in one place. But God be praised, I overcame him. I got sweetness from it. And the devil not only fought him openly, but made more subtle attempts to entice him to sin. Sometimes again, when I have been preaching, I have been violently assaulted with thoughts of blasphemy, and strongly tempted to speak the words with my mouth before the congregation. Bunyan, as he looked back over the long record of his spiritual torments, thought of it chiefly as a running fight with the devil. Outside the covers of the Bible, little existed save temptations for the soul. No sentence of the pilgrim's progress is more suggestive of Bunyan's view of life than that in which the merchandise of Vanity Fair is described as including delights of all sorts, as whores, bods, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and what not. It is no wonder that one to whom so much of common life a man was simply devil's traffic took a tragic view of even the most innocent pleasures, and applied to himself on account of his love of strong language, Sunday sports and bell-ringing, epithets that would hardly have been too strong if he had committed all the crimes of the latest Bluebeard. He himself, indeed, seems to have become alarmed, when probably as a result of his own confessions, it began to be rumored that he was a man with an unspeakable past. He now demanded that any woman in heaven, earth, or hell should be produced with whom he had ever had relations before his marriage. My foes, he declared, have missed their mark in this shooting at me. I am not the man. I wish that they themselves be guiltless. If all the fornicators and adulterers in England were hanged up by the neck till they be dead, John Bunyan, the object of their envy, would still be alive and well. Bunyan, one observes, was always as ready to defend as to attack himself. The verses he prefixed to the holy war 
are an indignant reply to those who accused him of not being the real author of the pilgrim's progress he wound up a fervent defense of his claims to originality by pointing out the fact that his name if anagrammed made the words new honey in a b many worse arguments have been used in the quarrels of theologians bunyan has been described as a tall red-haired man stern of countenance quick of eye and mild of speech his mildness of speech i fancy must have been an acquired mildness he loved swearing as a boy and as the pilgrim's progress shows even in his later life he had not lost the humor of calling names no other english author has ever invented a name of the labeling kind equal to that of mr worldly wiseman a character by the way who does not appear in the first edition of the pilgrim's progress but came in later as an afterthought congrave's tribulations pentext and dickens lord frederick verisoft are mere mechanical contrivances compared to this triumph of imagination and phrase bunyan's gift for names was in its kind supreme his humorous fancy chiefly took that form even atheists can read him with pleasure for the sake of his names the modern reader no doubt often smiles at these names where bunyan did not mean him to smile as when mrs lightmind says i was yesterday at madame wanton's when we were as merry as the maids for who do you think should be there but i and mrs love the flesh and three or four more with mr lechery mrs filt and some others bunyan's fancifulness however gives us pleasure quite apart from such quaint effects as this how delightful is mr bayan's explanation of the two points in regard to which he and his family differ in religion from those of the stricter sort first we never strive against wind and tide secondly we are always most zealous when religion goes in his silver slippers we love much to walk with him in the street if the sun shines and the people applaud him what a fine grotesque again bunyan gives us in toothless giant pope sitting in the mouth of the cave and though too feeble to follow christian calling out after him you will never mend till more of you be burnt we do not read the pilgrim's progress however as a humorous book bunyan's pains mean more to us than the play of his fancy his books are not the seventeenth-century grotesques but the story of his heart he has written that story twice over in the gloom of the realist in grace abounding and with the joy of the artist in the pilgrim's progress even in grace abounding however much as it is taken up with a tale of almost lunatic terror the tenderness of bunyan's nature breaks out as he tells us how when he was taken off to prison the parting with my wife and four children hath often been to me in the place as the pulling the flesh from the bones especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all beside oh the thoughts of the hardship i thought my poor blind one might go under would break my heart to pieces at the same time fear and not love is the dominating passion in grace abounding we are never far from the noise of hell in its pages in grace abounding man is a trembling criminal in the pilgrim's progress he has become despite his immense capacity for fear a hero the description of the fight with apollyon is a piece of heroic literature equal to anything in those romances of adventure that went to the head of don quixote but as god would have it while apollyon was fetching his last blow 
thereby to make a full end of this good man christian nimbly reached out his hand for his sword and caught it saying rejoice not against me o mine enemy when i fall i shall rise and with that gave him a deadly thrust which made him give back as one had received a mortal wound heroic literature cannot surpass this its appeal is universal when one reads it one ceases to wonder that there exists even a catholic version of the pilgrim's progress in which giant pope is discreetly omitted but the heroism of christian remains bunyan disliked being called by the name of any sect his imagination was certainly as little sectarian as that of a seventeenth-century preacher could well be his hero is primarily not a baptist but a man he bears perhaps almost too close a resemblance to every man but his journey his adventures and his speech save him from sinking into a pulpit generalization end of section two